Psalm 109. I'm going to read from 1 to 20. Be not silent, O God, my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me, evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let's an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tired, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few, and may another take his office. May his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from far from the ruin ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off and his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually that he may cut off the member of the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and the needy, the brokenhearted, to put them to death. He loved to curse. Let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing. May it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil in his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. Now, I'd normally wait till I read Acts as well, but this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the reason I wanted to declare that there is because that is a weighty passage against the enemies of Christ. And... We want to agree that that is still the Word of God. Turn to Acts 1. It's our longest passage since starting Acts, Acts 1, 12 to 26. Of course, when we get into the book of Acts, there's a lot of narrative to cover. And we're picking up after they're returning from the ascension of Christ. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter, John, and James, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealots, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons were about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us, and was allotted his share in his ministry. 
Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called, in their own language, Akil Gamah, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own way. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. He was numbered with the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy and just Father, we... We want to come as your people who humbly submit ourselves to your judgments. And when you say a man is wicked, we agree with you. And when you pass judgment, we agree with you. Father, let that be our heart. Let us be humble to know that we, in our justice, are corrupt. And we don't see things as clearly as you see things. So, Lord, as we come to look at the judgment of Judas, as we come to look at the enemies of Christ, let us examine ourselves. Let us find to be hearing your voice clearly and not have a rebellious, unbelieving heart. And let us, Father, go on in faithfulness to call out sin, to deal with it through Christ's death and resurrection, and to go on in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Luke 24, 48, 49, Jesus says, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is what we just read. Jesus has said many things to the disciples, particularly to the apostles. He's been lifted up in glory. He sits at the right hand of God. The nation's uh, false gods and kings have been judged and Christ's kingdom has been established as we saw in Daniel 7. Uh, he has been stated as a king whose kingdom will have no end and will have dominion and the saints of his people will receive the land. That's what we saw last week and now they are walking back from there and waiting 10 days for the Holy Spirit. Maybe the longest 10 days of their life. They are probably mixed with joy and yet are homesick as Jesus is no longer with them. They spend these 10 days without the physical presence of Christ and without the Holy Spirit. I, I think there's a weight there to fill. Because remember, Jesus said to them in John, it is better for me to go so that you may receive the Holy Spirit. So for these 10 days, 
there was a sense of emptiness, a sense of expectedness and an eager expectation, but, but they didn't know what, how, how the Holy Spirit was going to come, which we will look at next week. But one helpful idea to keep in mind as we read the book of Acts is that this is the first generation after Christ, right? They're eyewitnesses. The canon of the scripture is written while they're still alive. And then when they die, the scriptures are closed. And we see that in this period of time, there is history overlapping. The scriptures tell us that Jesus died at the end of the age, or the end of ages, in Hebrews 9.26. It says, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Notice it's the end of the ages in that there were many ages in the Old Testament and we are living in one age now. And in the period of the apostles, these, uh, the end of one age was overlapping with the new age to come. We have the Old Testament age or the Jewish age and the church age overlapping for a period of 40 years, the period pretty much of the apostles' acts, working out what Jesus taught and did. So there are going to be things that the apostles do that were of Old Testament value that don't continue on into the church, uh, into the church age. There are going to be things that end because the ages ended and a new age has begun. We've looked at this before and said this is the age of the new heavens and the new earth, or the age of the church. That's helpful to keep in mind because we're going to see, of course, casting lots here. Uh, and in the, in the coming weeks, we're going to see uh, different responses to the Holy Spirit. What we have in, in, in this, uh, this passage is, is some really important things to consider. What does it look like to be a community that is one accord, devoted to prayer? Uh, the reality of apostasy and biblical authority does not care about equality. They're my points for today. And, you, and we will just work through section by section. Verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem from the, the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying in Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James. Now, first verses here give us the, the sort of more picture of where Christ descended from, and it, it's, it's interesting in that if we understand Old Testament and, and understand uh, how Jesus entered into the temple on a donkey, we see that the Mount of Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, is pretty significant. Uh, God's presence left the temple and landed on that mountain, and that mountain looks over Jerusalem. Uh, so you, you, you sit on the mountain and you can see Jerusalem, you can see the temple, and God's presence in Ezekiel left and landed on that mountain. But what we see in Jesus uh, returning to the temple when he's heading in for his passion is he rides a donkey from the mount to the temple. Uh, so what's Jesus doing? He's bringing back the presence of God to the temple, but this time in judgment. Because what does he do when he gets there? Turns over tables, makes a whip, drives out all the materialism that's going on. But 
the presence of God has returned to the temple. And now we see last week that Jesus ascended from where? The Mount of Olives, where God's presence left the temple and landed. The presence of God has gone back to heaven. And we are going to see next week the Holy Spirit poured out on his people. The presence of God coming from heaven to his people. A huge moment in history. So we get that picture first off that they've come from the Mount of Olives. We, we now know where the ascension took place. And they're heading back to the upper room. Likely, likely the upper room where Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, gave them communion, taught them about the Holy Spirit. You can read about this in John 13 to 17. Uh, it's, it's likely the same upper room. This time they're there without Jesus. And Luke tells us specifically who is present among the apostles. Uh, he names some specific people. He names the eleven. Uh, and he deliberately names the eleven uh, so that we know that he has not lost any except for the one that was meant to be lost. If you read the Gospels, you'll see that every time Judas is mentioned, it's Judas the Iscariot who will betray Christ, or who is the betrayer. Uh, from the from what we are uh, getting from the Gospel is that Jesus always knew that Judas was the betrayer. But everyone else remains. The 11 that he chose in Luke 5, or 6, forgotten now, uh, Luke 5, 2, are the ones that are, that, are, that are kept. He keeps them. They remain his apostles. We also see that uh, that the women are there, so likely the women that that, uh, that were there at the resurrection, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, which is significant because his brothers were doubters. We see this in John 7. They, they, they mocked Jesus. But after the resurrection, his brothers have bowed the knee and called Christ Lord, and we know that one of his brothers writes the book of James. So his brothers are there, his mother's there, some women... And then later, uh, later it says that there's 120 people in all. Here it tells us that they were of one accord in one place. Now this is significant because after the death of Christ, the disciples were scattered. They all went different directions. One guy ran off without his clothes. Uh, Peter was full of shame and guilt. Uh, the only one we really see that's at the cross is John, who receives Jesus' mother from Jesus. But there was a scattering. And even when Jesus rose from the dead and presented himself to the disciples, it was, in, uh, it was in segments. He showed himself to different groups at different times. Uh, one time showing himself and Thomas wasn't there. And then Thomas comes and he doubts. Uh, so we see that it is significant that now, after the resurrection and after the 40 days of teaching from Christ, he has instilled a confidence in this small group of Christians that they are in one place, they have one accord, and they're devoting themselves to prayer. This small little mustard seed of a church has been inspired by the words of Christ, by the resurrection. There's a confidence in them. Although there may be still fear, they haven't yet received the Holy Spirit, they're still afraid of the Jews, still afraid of maybe the Roman soldiers. They are aware that being together... Is more, a point, uh, is more important than scattering back to their villages. Remember that most of these people didn't live in Jerusalem. Uh, they lived in the outer, outer reaches, which is why they're staying in this upper room, this higher place. 
Now they're they're with, they're in one accord, which means they are, are starting with humble submission to Christ's rule. Uh, here we see 120 people, yet not 120 people that are all equal. There's 11 of them who have been set above the rest as leaders, as those with the with authority, uh, and yet they are of one accord. There's no competing or rivalry. Uh, there seems to be a contentment with the position that God has put them in. Uh, a humble submission, not like in the Gospels where they're fighting over who's the greatest. Even when Peter gets up to speak, that's just accepted as to Peter's the chief apostle. He's the one that's going to speak. Uh, so we see there's one accord in humble submission to God and humble submission to the rule or the place that God has placed them in. And this is a great lesson for us in today's church, that we should be content with the position that God has put forth for us. We see Peter ask this question of Jesus in John 21.21. Uh, uh, when Peter saw him being John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Uh, Jesus is, uh, Peter has just been told by Jesus that he is going to suffer a horrific death. Uh, and, and then Peter's gone, oh, that's horrible. I'm going to look at John. What about John? And, and Jesus is like, not your concern. You follow me. Uh, David says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. In other words, give me the lowest position. I'll be the janitor. I'm happy in the position that God has put me in. The, the, the church of Christ is no place for man glory, although we see that so much in our churches today. That's about elevating popular people or well-spoken people or skilled people to the front so that they can have success and status. Yet here we see 120 devoted to one another, devoted to the teachings of Christ and accepting of the authority that Christ has placed before them. But this doesn't remain, right? Like, like This is inspiring and we can say, yes, this is what we want. We want to be of one accord, but, but it doesn't remain. In, in, in Acts 6.1, uh, there's a dispute that breaks out between the Hellenistic Jews and the, and, and the, and the rest. And, and they're saying, I'm not being cared for. The church isn't doing what I want. Uh, and we have seen this throughout churches since, since Acts 6, right? Uh, we see that... The church is going to be full of sin at times because Christ is redeeming and purifying his bride. He's driving out sin. And, and in order to drive out sin, he brings up sin so that we can deal with it, uh, which we're going to see not too far in this passage. So what we need to be aware of is although they were uh, of one accord and devoted to prayer, that the, so it's not about being disappointed when our church has problems. It's about dealing with the sin. Once again, we're going to see that in this passage. The very first thing this 120 do together after devoting themselves to prayer is deal with sin, the sin of Judas. So when we are devoting ourselves to one act for him, then may all the nations be taught about him. This is who we believe upon. Sanctification in the church. And the reaching of the nations is all throughout human history. And there's the small group of people that have been praying for it for years. All the nations be taught about him. Let us devote ourselves to prayer 
for ourselves. And just like this small mustard seed of a church or tiny bits of leaven, we will view the enemies of Christ. How do we speak about them? Well, Psalm 100, and may another take his office to proclaim his his wickedness or he's not taking away his glory and not saying he's a Lord, uh, the, the Lord of all. He goes on in verse 14, May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. Let not the sins of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually that he may be cut, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Rebelling against Christ deserves a just punishment. In fact, we, we all deserve this, yet in Christ we are saved from it. And we see Judas here is, is not painted in a, in a good light, and there's a, there's, a con- there's a concern that he was around Jesus, right? It's, it's worse for those who are near to Jesus, who profess Jesus and go and blaspheme his blood or profane the blood of Christ, as Hebrews 10 says. We must be concerned for those who have once professed in Christ and either no longer do or profess Christ and teach others to do wickedness along with what they're doing. We should be greatly concerned. For a passage like Psalm 109 and what happened to Judas is really what is waiting for them. May they be called to repentance. So Peter stands before the church, the 120, and recounts the high sin. The mess that their brother rivalry caused, that's a lamech to the flood, and we just keep going. It always states clearly that men uh, and women are sinners. And it's going to cause havoc in everyone's life. It's going to ruin things. It's going to ruin households, neighborhoods, cities, and so forth. And what the Bible's great at is dealing with it. First church members meeting, members meal, and we're like, we're going to deal with Jews. You know that guy that betrayed him, the one we want to forget, the one we were fooled by, you know, we were sitting around and we're all asking, is it me, Lord? That guy. Unflinching, confident in the direction and the ascension of Christ, the Lordship of Christ, that Christ is not going to be tainted by this sin, for Christ is pure and spotless. Let's deal with it. Let's not cover it up. Let's bring it to light. And that's what they do. They bring it to light, they expose the sin, and they replace it with resurrection and life by David. Uh, we've already said the Psalms he's referring to is, is first Psalm 69, and secondly, Psalm 109. Speaking of the judgment upon David's enemies, and often David's en- enemies are a shadow or a picture of Christ's enemies, because Christ is the better David. And you may read it and feel... Uh, I don't really think that that's about Judas. Or you may read other prophecies in Old Testament, and we're going to get to heaps through the book of Acts, and go, oh, I don't know if I agree with the apostles' interpretation. Simply, tough. Because the apostles were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and if the Holy Spirit is telling you this is what that Old Testament passage means, that's what it means. 
you don't get to you don't get to argue that. Uh, you're not an apostle, and, and, and the apostles are telling us that this is about Judas. That Psalm 69, verse 25, is also about Judas, and and, and we must submit to it and agree to it. Humbly say, "You are Lord. You have appointed your apostles to inspirely." inspired by the Holy Spirit, write scripture, and this is what you say. And what he ultimately is saying is that there is a real weight to apostasy. And apostasy means just to denounce what you once believed, or to deny to, to, to deny what you once called upon as truth. And that may be with your mouth, it may be through actions of denying the Lord and, and His commandments. And Peter states this because he says they were, he was numbered with us and obtained part of his ministry. He was invested, right? Judas was numbered among the twelve, and he had part of the ministry. He was the, the, the money, the money guy, he was the treasurer. This is such a hard truth for many of us to learn. But there are many that are numbered among the saints in this world that will be found to not be among us in the day of separation between those who are precious to Christ and those who are vile. Now, when we come to the story of the sheep and the goats, we often look at it as if it's the... the ...people of God being separated out from within, unbelieving heart in them. That Jesus warns us, and just as I remember... Judas would have been here as he wandered. And the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, the passage I'm about to read, Judas was there. It says, Jesus sat down and and the disciples sat around him. He's right there, listening to these words, kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day they will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew Depart from me, you workers of works. They've healed the sick, driven out demons. Exactly what Jesus says here. Judas was one. Just think, Judas drove out a demon. Healed the sick. Probably thought he was pretty good at doing it too. He came back to Jesus as excited as all the other disciples. He heard this word. You notice it says, They will say to me, Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord, right? Aren't we meant to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead? Wasn't that last week's message? They're going to say the right words and refuse to submit to him as Lord. Will your words match your steps? For Judas, it wasn't so. Hebrews 3, 12 to 15 is another great one. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said. So what do we need to be careful of? We need to be careful that like Judas, we don't have an evil and unbelieving heart. Declaring with our mouth, Jesus, you are Lord, and running off and stealing money from the money bag. Running away and trying to cut a deal to betray Jesus. Evil and unbelieving. How do we know that, it, that, that we have an evil and unbelieving heart? It's when Jesus says something you don't like and you don't want to follow it. Repent of that. 
Repent today. While it's still called today, right? Listen to a brother or sister who says to you, Jesus is telling you you cannot be doing X, Y, Z. It's when we hear the voice of God from his scripture and we say, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to continue with church. I'm going to continue in this relationship that's unholy. Whatever it may be. It reminds us that when we hear the voice of God, we say, yes, Lord, you are, you, you are yes, Jesus, you are my Lord. I'll obey. If we leaders in sin are worst of sinners, especially of those that by their office should have been guides to the friends of Christ, are guides to his enemies. Jesus said of Judas, it would have been better if you had never been born. We see in Matthew 18, 5 and 6, a warning that says, Whoever receives such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. What we need to be careful of is ever using the authority that God's given us. Maybe that's as a father. Uh, maybe it's as a mother. So, as an elder for us, for myself and Tyler, an authority you may have in the business world to lead others into sin. Particularly those who are weaker and more moldable. Children, new believers. It's better for you just to throw yourself into an ocean with a heavy stone. It's one thing to shipwreck your faith. It's another to lead others into it as well. We're still children and new believers, yet our modern church has many, many people acting like Judas who uh, were prominent leaders and are now using their prominent Christian leadership position and turning from their confession that Christ is Lord and instilling in people to walk contrary to his written word. Claiming to be teachers of Christ. Yes, calling people to walk from him. God have mercy on us. For the enemy of Christ will face the mighty deeds that we see read in Psalm 109. May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. From Psalm 69, verse 25. Another passage about the, uh, a messianic passage about Christ and about his enemies and about what is going to become of the enemies of Christ. These warnings need to be spoken again. They need to be read. They need to be dealt with in the church as Peter, in his first church meeting, is dealing with apostasy. Set themselves against the glory of his King Jesus. We see Peter lay out what sort of what took place. He traded Jesus for money, led the chief priests and their soldiers to, to capture him. If you've read Matthew you, and, and read Acts, you're going to see some differences in the story. Uh, Matthew was going to say that Judas came back and he threw the money and the chief priests took that money and instead of putting it in the treasury because it was blood money, went and bought this land, this field. Uh, Matthew's going to say that he he hanged himself. Hanged himself. 
And here we see that it says he fell over and his insides gushed out. How do we balance this? How do we reconcile it? Well, it really seems uh, that you could have both of these things taking place. It was Judas's money, so the field that was bought was uh, still entitled to him. Uh, and it may be that he was in that field when he, when he, when he hanged himself. Uh, but the point of the story is to say that he got what he deserved. His land, this land, this field, the money that he get, received, uh, has come to nothing. No one dwells in it. It's become a land of blood. It's where they're going to bury pagans. And his death is described as being an incredibly violent death. Unpleasant. He faced the fruit of his deed, essentially. The God that he chose to worship, money, provided for him a desolate ground that no one will dwell in. As we feel the weight of Psalm 109, and if we read Psalm 69, we'd see as well. We saw in Psalm 109, verse 8, it says that another should take his office. So Peter in dealing with sin, says this sinner has been judged. His land that he has bought with his money, that is desolate. That is an indictment on him. He's died a horrific death, a violent death. And now we must bring about resurrection. The gospel always brings about resurrection. Newness of life. Where one has failed, or we have failed, newness comes through. And we see a process of appointing another apostle. And the reason I titled this, the biblical, biblical authority, authority doesn't care about equality, is because I think it's important for us to see that yet God has a strict criteria, and he cares more about criteria and qualifications than he does about everyone having what they feel like they deserve. Verse 21 to 26 so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out from out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph called uh, Barabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, uh, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these you have chosen take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas called uh, turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. We often interchange the word uh, apostles and disciples, but we see here clearly that there is a distinction. Disciple is a general name used uh, for all the followers of Jesus, meaning student or learner. An apostle is an authoritative position reserved for whoever Christ appoints. Apostle means to be sent. It's one coming from a king in the king's authority as an ambassador. He carries weight and authority. If the apostles speak, it's, it's, uh, it's like Christ speaking. Uh, we see that the whole book of Acts is about the acts of Jesus working out through the, through the apostles 
and and there and of course the scriptures in the New Testament come from uh, these apostles or witnesses witnessing to the writer who writes them. So in this 120 people, 11 of them have been elevated to a position of authority. Uh, that, that that they would point to the Old Testament 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, that they would descend from the 12 patriarchs, so it was a, a symbolic number we see here. And of course, there's only 11 at the moment, so they need to replace one. But there is a strict criteria in order to be an apostle. Firstly, we see that the candidate has to be one of the disciples that has been there from the beginning. From his very first baptism, uh, when he was baptized by John, all the way through to the death, burial, and a witness of the resurrection. That's how you become apostle. You, you, you must be a, a witness to those things. Second, oh, second is to, to be a, a witness of the resurrection. And, and, and thirdly, you need to be appointed by Christ. We see this in Luke 6, 12 to 15. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. All night, he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. We see there that distinction is they were disciples. There's all those disciples there. And from the disciples, he names 12 of them apostles. And they're the same names we read earlier. Simon, who was named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas the Iscariot, who was a traitor. So we see Jesus spends all night praying to God before he appoints his apostles. So the disciples, uh, so the apostles here with the 120 imitate Christ and prepare to appoint another apostle to take the place. What we, uh, uh, what we must be aware of is that Matthias and Justice here were once rejected, right? Jesus was uh, praying all night. They were clearly a part of the disciples because they had to be, otherwise they couldn't have been put, put forward. Uh, and at this point, neither one of them was chosen, yet they continue. They continue with Jesus. They're, they're, they, they are still there the whole time. They're still witnesses of the resurrection. They're still sitting under the apostles' teaching. There's a genuine uh, humility about these two men. So the apostles pray like Jesus prayed. And they ask God, uh, they ask God to, who knows the heart of man. It's really important because we don't, right? You can examine every bit of language someone has. You can examine their actions. You can examine all sorts of things like the apostles did with Judas uh, for three years and still not know. Now, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they didn't go, oh, yeah, that's definitely Judas. They looked at themselves. So Judas was good at what he did. And we need to be aware that we can't examine someone's heart. Never will we actually know what we will know is if they endure. When we're old and grey on our deathbed, and you gather around someone's deathbed to sing psalms as they sail off to Christ, you can probably have pretty good confidence that they endured, that they lasted. But only God knows the heart, and that's why they seek 
God for an answer, and they cast lots. Now this was an old Jewish tradition, particularly in the temple around what the priests would do, what tasks the priests would have. So if there was a ceremony that the priests would have to do, like Zach, a really good example of what it looks like. Firstly, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may... We don't cast lots. We have the Holy Spirit and we have the complete Word of God. The closed canon of Scripture is before us. By the Holy Spirit, you will come to understand more of His will. But there is a struggle to ever understand what God's purpose is. comes an apostle, and that's it. We never hear of it again. In, in the Scriptures, we, He is not mentioned. And I, I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing because it, it reminds us that biblical authority is not about making someone feel good or get. It's not about inclusion. It's about the Lord were consistent. They followed Jesus from his baptism to his resurrection. We know that these men were humble lordship of Christ even when the culture fights against them pushes back at them. So we don't see Matthias again. Justice might just turn up. In Colossians 4.11, we see Paul refer to justice and it says he is of the circumcision, a native Jew, as this was, uh, he was a fellow worker with Paul in the kingdom and a comfort to him. And I think that's, that's an encouragement, that we don't hear of the one who became an apostle, but maybe... Can't know for sure, but maybe, maybe we hear of justice. He's still there. Second time, he doesn't get promoted to be an apostle the second time, and he sticks around. He has humility to say, oh, I, it doesn't matter. A doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. He was of one accord. He wanted to proclaim the Lordship of Christ, even if it's alongside Paul, the persecutor of the church. We're reminded that Paul says, are all apostles, are all prophets? We must be reminded that Christ's body is diverse. Christ's body is diverse, and there are some that will be promoted to leadership because they qualify. Yet we are all going to inherit the kingdom together. So may we be of one accord and devote ourselves to prayer. May we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ through the established authority that he has set, which is perfect for what the church needs. doesn't need critiquing by our culture. doesn't need informing by inclusion or equality. just needs to be faithful to what he said. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you are that you are long suffering with us, that you're long suffering with your church. who tries to constantly make it more attractive to the world. 
Yet, Lord, you persevered throughout all of history, reforming, reviving, returning people to your word, your criteria, and to faithfulness. May we proclaim you as Lord. May we be faithful in upholding your word. Not just with our mouth saying Jesus is Lord, but with our deeds. When you command, may we follow. And Father, if we're a doorkeeper in your house, it is far better than being in the tents of the wicked. So let us have humble hearts that say, I would rather that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.